1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. i would be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. For a moment there. Yeah, about mid-morning, this market seemed unstoppable. We got a deadly virus wreaking havoc in Asia. We have an impeachment trial in the Senate that could get very ugly, even if the outcome seems like a foregone conclusion. And we have executives at Davos falling over themselves to take action against climate change, something that will hurt their earnings per share, even if it may save the environment. Yet none of that seemed to matter. Until midday, and then ultimately the Dow dropped 152 points, SME back backslid 0.27%, and then ASX shed 0.19% after we learned that the coronavirus has reached our shores. And Boeing, big Dow stock, told us that the 737 MAX won't resume service until June or July, causing its stock to crumble and taking the averages down with it. The coronavirus is precisely the kind of outbreak that would have decked any other market right from the opening. I mean, really caused it to plummet. And then what would happen is it wouldn't get off from the canvas. It would stay down. But this market was able to hang in there until that one-two punch this afternoon. While this outbreak hasn't resulted in a huge number of fatalities, at least not yet, the fact that respiratory viruses like this one are incredibly difficult to contain should play a role here. So far, it seems less lethal than SARS, S-A-R-S. That was the scourge that swept through East Asia in 2002 and 2003, infecting more than 8,000 people and causing 774 deaths. But it is incredibly similar to SARS. Any potentially deadly disease that can spread via sneezing could have a chilling effect on all sorts of industries. For example, it's bad news for the travel stocks because their earnings could get nicked, especially as we're headed into the Chinese New Year and the following spring festival, when hundreds of millions of people go on vacation. Just listen to what the Chinese health expert who discovered SARS told The Washington Post. And I quote, The outbreak is at the critical stage, and we estimate an increasing number of infections during the 40 days of the spring festival rush. End quote. Well, any company that's banking on a surge on Chinese holiday traffic, and there are many that do, has to be concerned here. So you can expect the analysts who cover, say, the cruise lines will cut numbers. During the SARS epidemic, Carnival lost 28% of its value. It was only down 2% today. That doesn't seem like enough of an adjustment. The casino companies in Macau, Las Vegas of China, could see the traffic dip. Las Vegas Sands and Works were down 5 and 6% respectively. I still think they're vulnerable. As they load ourselves makeup and duty-free shops in Hong Kong. Could see a fall off that's worse than the 1% the it suffered today. But remember, that is a terrific company. When Marriott International bought Star Wars, they picked up a meaningful Chinese presence, and that's why its dropped, stock dropped 3.9% today, although I suspect you won't even see this outbreak in their numbers eventually. That said, a less China-centric Marriott fell 12% during the SARS epidemic. Finally, the airlines are natural, too. People are going to sell them, especially now that someone in America has contracted the virus. The big airline stocks were down 3 to 4%, and a good quarter reported by United after the bell tonight may not be enough to change the stock's direction, or the whole group for that matter. Now, I mention all of this because the decline from this outbreak should actually be confined to just those stocks and stocks like them. In other words, if the whole market sells off on the coronavirus tomorrow, that might be your chance to pick up some high-quality stocks into weakness. You know what I was thinking? We've been waiting for an exogenous event. This is the ultimate exogenous event that severely impacts just a few companies, even as the pain spreads to many unrelated stocks. It's collateral damage where there shouldn't be damage. I suspect the disease will run its course. But well, people likely will not go out as much. That said, this illness isn't a sideshow. It was front and center today and dragged down everything, uh, except for uh, a couple outperformers like Costco, which caught an upgrade today. Timely given our interview with CEO Greg Jelinek tonight. Boy, if they had waited a day, the stock go higher. Beyond Meat exploded higher, too, it was up 18% as it keeps roaring on any news about the increased adoption of plant based meat alternatives, like the announcement from Starbucks today. It said it will emphasize them. Tesla vaulted 7%, despite still one more sell-side warning if the stock has run too much. And Uber rallied more than 7% on news that management is doing what I wanted to do, moving to curtail the losses from Uber Eats, which includes selling their Uber Eats business in India. I think Uber's got a lot more upside. Of all the stocks I've mentioned, it's probably the best one. Oh, and after the bell, IBM reported a nice top and bottom line beat with strong guidance. That's a very big deal, given that some key analysts downgraded the stock before the quarter. Turns out that negativity may have been misplaced, as were the endless catcalls about another stock, Netflix, and whether its online competition would bring it down. So far, it doesn't look like it slowed it down at all. But aside from these exceptions, I'm calling it a suboptimal day. So what should we be focused on if the outbreak proves to be short-lived? I know this is mad money. I know I am Jimmy Chill, not Jim Jim Kramer, but I care about impact per share, which is equivalent of one word Davos. And that's where the World Economic Forum is held every year. And this time around, we are getting an astonishing outpouring of anti-carbon statements from all sorts of big companies. They tend not to be as powerful as what we heard from, from Sadia Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, when we visited him last week. Nadella laid out a serious plan not just to go carbon neutral and do so in an aggressive way, but to go carbon negative, potentially offsetting all of Microsoft's emissions since it was founded in 1975. But these pronouncements at Davos are still noteworthy. Because they're going to cost the companies money short term, even if preventing catastrophic climate change benefits everyone over the long term. I really believe this is a huge shift, people. I know there's a tendency to say these business leaders are only acting because our government has abdicated its responsibility to protect the environment. Honestly, though, Australia was just on fire. I mean, the whole continent. After that, I think that they would have acted even if the government took climate uh, did actually have a legitimate interest in climate change. So far, I don't see anyone who's trying to game the system by talking about the environment and doing nothing. That's so-called greenwashing. But given the amount of money that's coming into sustainability funds, I'm betting companies that visibly care about this stuff and can back that up with facts and figures will be rewarded with higher valuations than those that don't. And by the way, those the oil, oil service companies, there's nothing they can do. Some had a great quarter on Friday. People selling it like mad today. Believe it or not, green can be good business. Even if you don't intend it to be, Elliott Partners, one of the most rigorous hedge funds on Earth, has bought a big stake in a utility, Evergy. And these guys are adamant that the company should aggressively replace its coal plants. This isn't some bleeding heart firm. Elliott's run by sharks. I'll be brilliant ones. They say decarbonization is a must. Why? Let me read you a line from their letter to management. Quote, because of the strength of the wind resource in Evergy's service territory, Ever, Evergy stands to be a leader in decarbonization system investments that facilitate renewables growth and help transition its coal fleet. End quote. In other words, this plea from Elliot really has nothing to do with environmental, social, or corporate governance stuff. They only care about what's good for business and power generation. Going forward, wind will be more profitable than coal, and that could land you a higher price stock. End of story. Here's the bottom line. I'm betting the coronavirus will be the kind of exogenous event that lets you buy unrelated stocks at a discount. But it's also a good excuse for people who want reasons to sell, especially since China's not very forthcoming about what's going to happen. Then again, would we expect anything else? Let's go to Stuart in Florida, please. Stuart! Hello, Jim Kramer. Booyah. Booyah, Stuart. NIO,
2: or Neo Inc., which has been referred to as the Tesla of China. No. First, is there any real
1: value in this? There strategy? is a Tesla, and its name is Tesla. Uh, there's only one stock in China I'm recommending, which is Alibaba. Neo has been uh, proven to be a bouncing ball, and where it stops, nobody knows. But I don't think it's going to be higher than where it traded uh, after that that incredibly positive piece in 60 minutes. All right, you're getting a chance to pick up some high quality stocks into weakness. But the coronavirus is also an excuse for people who want to sell. So balance that out and be careful. We made money tonight as one of the most successful retailers of our time. Costco's changed the way we shop. Should you buy their stock in bulk? I got the chance to browse the aisles with the company's CEO. Then, it's not all good news in the grocery space. I'm eyeing the weakness in a company that sounds like it should be a, a, a fabulous one. It's called United Natural Foods. I want to see what's behind that awful slide. And after getting more than 50% last year, can the rally in Logitech continue into 2020? That's that peripheral company. Well, I'm going to talk to the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
3: And their stores have become a can't-miss destination for nearly 100 million members. America is buying in bulk. Should
1: home gamers join the club and put some Costco in their portfolio? Before we left the West Coast this week, we checked in with Costco at their flagship store in Issaquah, Washington. Now, this longtime Kramer fave big box chain has been a huge winner for shareholders, rallying about 50 percent over the past 12 months. And it just keeps climbing. Today, it surged another 2.8 percent after Oppenheimer upgraded Costco, citing the company's bullish outlook and the fact that the stock has not run as much as others here. Now, could it have more room to go higher on Friday? We spoke to Craig Jelinek, Costco's bankable president and CEO who does very little TV. I need you to take a look at this. You have 100 million members. I think a lot of people believe it's the price. Other people believe it's the treasure hunt. I think it's the people. We always see the same people for years. How do you keep them?
5: Well, I think since the beginning, when uh, you know our founder, Jim Senegal and, and Jeff Brotman, uh... when the company started you know we always wanted to have great prices never do it on the back of your people pay good wages and one of the things that we always want to do is pay great wages if you look at our employees that have been around for our employees ten years or more they make almost twenty nine dollars an hour our average wage is about almost twenty five dollars an hour uh... so it's just wages and we think we're a good place to work we pay benefits uh, we've got great people we want people to stay for the long term we have 401 case and it's just great when you have great people who stay with you and are loyal to the company and it's uh, it's just the right thing to do
1: it is counterintuitive in America to think that you can offer the best benefits and the highest wages and still have incredible profit margins Jim told me the churn the way that turnover at all the other stores makes it so that you can afford to have those, those profit margins and still do better than everybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want
5: longevity. You want good employees. They they know their jobs. They be, show you ways to become more efficient as a company. You're only as good as the employees that work
1: with you. Now, you have a few more than 500 stores, 546 stores in America. Uh, total of 785 and yet you're you're the third largest how can you have so few stores and be the third largest
5: well as you probably know we're not a margin company we're a volume company and we need a lot of volume going through these as we call them warehouses so that's really what it's about we do a lot with very few units uh... we sell turn a lot of inventory and it just works the best way for us to to do it that way we will continue to expand our costcos but uh, we're not going to have one on every corner.
1: Okay, this is a beautiful story that you have here. Uh, I am told that this is where you sold that $450,000 piece of jewelry. How can you have such a diverse clientele that really kind of encompasses everyone in America?
5: Well, you know, one of the things that we do, no matter what your, where you are in terms of incomes, everybody wants a value, right? And that's one thing that we've done from day one is we bring quality merchandise at the best possible price. And we do it on everywhere that we sell merchandise. That's the way we run our business.
1: Now uh, the notion that you can have full employment and not have a lot of inflation I think depends on the likes of your store. You can do huge volume. Obviously, there must be some tension between volume and price here. But you're part of the reason why we don't have inflation in this country. Well,
5: that's certainly very nice of you to say. Uh, we we have a responsibility to figure out how little we can make off of of a product instead of how much we a can little. make a product. Right. We want to sell a lot. We're in
1: the volume business, not the margin business. That works worldwide as a concept, correct? Yes. Absolutely. It even works in Shanghai, where you had been reluctant to do business in China, you personally, but it looks like you're almost, some would say, too successful in Shanghai.
5: Well, it's, you know, we're very early in the game. Um, When we opened up in Shanghai, uh, we opened up very strong and... We were not, we were actually not ready for the amount of traffic that came into that building. You
1: opened and closed the same day.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we had to go through a lot of crowd control and uh, we had to go through and learn a lot of things. But uh, we learned a lot. Uh, we opened up the next day and it's business
1: as usual over there. I have some great shirts. Uh, they're made in Indonesia. Is that in a way to be able to avoid Chinese tariffs?
5: No, we've just, that's not it at all. We, uh, we've had a, a factory over there, well when I say a factory, our supplier has made the shirts over there. We've been with this supplier probably now who's been making our Kirkland Signature shirts
1: for 20-plus years, and they do a very good job, and uh, they're great quality shirts. I'm glad you mentioned Kirkland. I have often found, when I, and I'm proud to be a long-term shopper at Costco, I've often found that the Kirkland brand is superior to the brand, the branded items. Most other companies would say, listen, our that our brand is just as good as the other guy. You want it to be better. Well, we want the
5: Kirkland brand, it's it's our name. We you know we, we came up with Kirkland because our offices used to be in Kirkland. It wasn't that you know that sophisticated a way to come up with a name. But we wanted it to be and you know we don't do any advertising as you know. And you can put the Kirkland signature on toilet paper, you can put it on wine, you can put it on just about anything. And uh, we're proud of that brand. And if you do a good job and you build a quality item, you're going to have trust with with your members.
1: Well, let's talk about the stock, which has been an incredible performer. Uh, There's got to be tension between a special dividend that you give and low prices as members. I mean, uh, why are you giving special dividends and also uh, charging what you do uh, for membership? Because I've always tried to figure out what is the, uh, the balance of how you do your capital allocation.
5: Well, you know, and you're very, the stock has appreciated very well. But also, a lot of people's stock has appreciated very well recently. The markets, the markets, at an all-time high. You know, we want to have. You know, one of the things about low prices, you generate a lot of volume. When you generate a lot of volume, you don't generate cash, and you have a responsibility to your shareholders. And uh, you know, the stock has appreciated. We've done special dividends in the past. We always think about it when the right time might be to do another special dividend. We have no plans right at the moment. Okay. But uh, we always, we'll always look at that.
1: Uh, you have a huge amount of money that comes in from subscription fees. Uh, how do you decide when it's time to take that price increase? Because it looks like that nobody drops off when you do it.
5: You know, we 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 have to do it based on how we increase, increase the value of the membership. Right? When we add new pieces to the membership like travel but also when we increase that we don't put that on the bottom line we turn around and lower prices and work off less margins
1: now i find that because of your low prices you can pretty much defeat anyone including someone who is located in town amazon i find better buys here than i do in amazon is that conceivable you're not going to get some of these prices on amazon well, you know,
5: I, I don't. you worry about Amazon because it's a competitor. Right. Really what we need to do is worry about what well, we can do well, figure out how to lower prices, lower our expenses. The lower the expenses that we have, right, the more efficient we become, the more we can lower prices.
1: The word that comes to mind, and I certainly find it here, this great store with these fabulous managers and people, you have a level of humility that does not exist anywhere else in corporate america you are humble how do you stay humble and be the greatest retailer in our country well you're very kind about
5: the greatest retailer in the country you know we just as i said before we don't really turn a lot of people we've been very blessed with as a company because Even from our founders, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work from our employees, and we don't take anything for granted because really we feel good that we have a purpose to create lower prices for people where we do business. We have a responsibility to try to do that and make a little money for our shareholders.
1: You've mentioned the word responsibility many times. Again, very different from the low margin supermarkets I see, department stores. Is that one reason why you had 9% comps when everyone else is saying it was so promotional? You know,
5: I think we had the 9% comps for the simple reason that we do have a great membership base. We communicate to that membership base. I think they trust us when they come in to buy merchandise, that this is going to be the best price that they see when they come in for quality merchandise. And I think, uh, you know, that's just the way we run our business. I can't speak for everybody else, but I think our values that we have on merchandise just tells a story.
1: Are you ever afraid that you give away too much? Mr. Glanty runs a fantastic conference call. You give away cannibalization numbers. You talk about 20 basis points in this country, 138 points in international. You're giving away information that is secret at other stores. You know,
5: we try to be transparent. I mean, it is what it is. (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, we're going to talk to you about what we're going to be doing three and four years from now. Maybe not. But, you know, that's what we do. Responsible. Responsible, transparent. If we screw something up, which we do on occasion, we're going to make it right.
1: Well, as a proud member, I've never seen you screw up, but maybe that's just <laughs> the way we as consumers know you. The guys and we, and we appreciate that. Absolutely. And it's a joy. It is still a treasure hunt. It's still the best price. Thank you. Okay, that's Craig Jelinek. He's the Costco CEO. Mr. Jelinek, thank you so much. Thank you, and we appreciate you coming back. Thank you.
3: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
1: I am always trying to suss out the difference between what's working and what's not working. In a given industry. Earlier, you heard what Costco told us when we checked in with them last week. That retailer has been taking share and taking names in the grocery space. But on Friday, I noticed a much more negative story. United Natural Foods, the beleaguered food distributor that specializes in natural and organic, got hit with a bearish piece of research and the already devastated stock... (laughs) Got hammered, falling more than 10%. Oh, geez, this thing is almost way down to eight bucks. That's a far cry from where it was just a few years ago. Five years ago, 83. Now, this stock wasn't always such a dog with a gazillion fleas. From the Great Recession to early 2015, United Natural was a phenomenal performer, just a tremendous multi year growth story. For 20 years, they'd been the primary distributor for Whole Foods. And at first, that was a huge business. But since 2015, this thing has become an unmitigated disaster. United Natural scene seen its stock plummet more than 90%, striking, sinking from the 80s to just under 8 bucks as of today. What a sobering story about how much money can be lost in stocks on the day when we're thinking about how much money can be made. That latest step down on Friday got me wondering, how can a company that's exposed to such a powerful secular trend as natural and organic such an awful story? I mean, what the heck is wrong with United Natural Foods? The whole world has embraced organic food, yet this organic distributor just keeps hitting hammered. It didn't help when Amazon acquired Whole Foods, the largest client. In 2017, suddenly a huge source of business was being called into question. Still is. But things really started falling apart for United Natural in late 2018, not long after the company acquired a real dog itself. Super value. Making itself the largest grocery distributor in America, with some actual supermarket locations that they were in the process of divesting. Now, the stock plummeted from just under 30 to 10 and change during the fourth quarter of 2018. This was a volatile time for the whole market. But it was downright horrific for this particular stock that a lot of people were thinking, well, wait a second. What do I have to worry about from the Fed? It's United. It's Natural. It's food. It just keeps getting worse. After rebounding to fifteen bucks in the first few months of last year, United Natural reported a series of increasingly distressing results, which is why the stock is now in the single digits, hanging around eight bucks. The source of the problem. Now, part of it is super value. As CEO Steve Spinner put it last March, "We experienced higher than anticipated costs, largely associated with our network realignment projects, uh, resulting primarily." from Super Value's previous acquisitions. Well, that's great. They made a lot of acquisitions, and then these guys acquired them. But he went on to say that they believe, and this is really important, that the problems will be short-term in nature. More importantly, barring a few exceptional operators, the grocery business has become awful. There's too much competition in the grocery distribution space, which is crushing United Naturals margins. Meanwhile, the independent grocers clients, uh, these distributors crave well, they're all under pressure from big national change, making the change, making the business less uh, lucrative. Think, think about Target's there. Uh, Walmart's there. We already covered Costco. When United National reported again in June, they had the exact problems, only worse. Yes, the same ones. Analysts started coming out of the woodwork to downgrade the stock based on fears that their coveted independent grocer clients were rolling over in a world that's increasingly going digital. Then in mid-August, United Natural's chief financial officer resigned to take over as CFO of a trucking company. Now, in retrospect, he made a smart move, but this sent a terrible signal to Wall Street. When a company's facing a complex merging uh, merger integration like United Natural's purchase of the gigantic super value... Well, you hate to see the CFO leave in the middle of the process. The conventional wisdom is that such a high-level executive wouldn't be leaving if the project looked promising. So over the next few days, the stock got hammered down to 7 bucks. But then a funny thing happened in September. United Natural rebounded again to the low teens. Sucked people in. Incredible recovery, fueled by a broader rotation out of high-flying growth names and into beaten-down value names. While United Natural Foods was struggling, the company was plentiful, pro- plenty profitable, management's full-year forecast still looked pretty good. They were talking about making more than 2 bucks per share for fiscal 2019, making the stock incredibly cheap, four times earnings. Four times earnings estimates? Well, if you believe those numbers were attainable, what a bargain, what a steal. Now, fast forward October 1st, though, and investors got a real reality check. There was a reason United Natural was trading at less than four times earnings. It's because those numbers were unattainable. At the beginning of October, the company reported an ugly earnings miss and gave horrific guidance for twenty twenty. They ended up making two dollars and eight cents per share last year. This year management's talking about making a buck twenty two to a buck seventy six. A hey, pretty wide range, right? But even at the high end, they're going to experience some nasty earnings shrinkage. Nobody likes it down year. Even worse, the new CFO came out and disavowed the company's long-term targets. At an analyst day early last year, management laid out some pretty optimistic forecasts for 2022. Not long after, though, the CFO told us, we don't believe we have a path to achieve those forecasts. You can't do that. That's what causes the stock to go down. Once again, the stock got hammered, but within weeks, it was bouncing again, right up until United Natural reported its most recent quarter in mid-December. Sure enough, we got another disappointment. Even though the company's sales came in higher than expected, the earnings per share were just downright ugly. They earned 12 cents. Wall Street was looking for 26 cents. This has got to be the biggest disappointment of my lexicon. That last quarter reinforced the feeling that United Natural faces an uphill battle when it comes to integrating super value, paying down the debt they took on to make that acquisition, and thriving in an increasingly difficult environment. Then an analyst raised concerns about what might happen if that company actually lost the Whole Foods contract, which expires in 2025. Once again, the stock tank falling from right under 10 to a little over 7. This story just keeps repeating itself. United Natural gets eviscerated by some bad news, then the stock finds its footing, then it gets eviscerated again. Sure enough, last week, the company made a not-terrible, or not-too-terrible presentation at that big ICR conference. Management conceded that they'd been too bullish with their forecast after they bought Super Value, and they were adamant that they'd be able to keep the Whole Foods contract. Stock rebounded to nine bucks and change. So of course it gets sideswept again. This time Wells Fargo downgraded United Natural from equal weight to underweight. Wall Street speak first. Hold the sell. Slash the price target from eight down to six. Seems like a reasonable target to me. The rationale, same as every other negative story for the past year, the wholesale grocery business is, quote, structurally challenged with a shrinking customer base and relentless competitive pressure, end quote. Meanwhile, they obviously massively overpaid for super value. And while the deal might make sense down the road, if there is a road, it's currently a mess. Stock got clobbered in response, so that's why it's now under 8 of course, United Natural seems cheap to the, ever, to the people who are ever bullish, and of course, even the most bearish analysts assume they can earn more than a dollar per share this year. However, that's the same logic that have people buying this thing before it blew up late last year. Investors keep mistaking this for a value stock, but to me, it's a value trap. That's what this is. This is the look of a value trap. My view, just because something looks like it's pegged to a powerful secular trend, like the ascendance of natural and organic food, that doesn't mean it's good business. With all the tough competition in the grocery space, United Naturals customers are being hammered. And they foolishly doubled down in the same space with that super value deal over a year ago. If they called this thing, let's say, instead of United Natural Foods, I don't know, United Distributor of Foods... Well, it would be a with description, but would you want it if they X that out? That's what keeps sucking people in. Natural. Oh, my God. They should call themselves meatless. The bottom line, at these levels, I think it's too late to short United Natural Foods. But please, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, please stop trying to speculate on a turnaround here. As so far, we've seen no evidence that things are getting better. You want a grocery play? Forget United Natural and buy... Let's go! Stick with Kramer. What do we make of the stock of Logitech International appear? This company is the king of computer peripherals like keyboards, mice, headphones, mobile speakers and remote controls and high-end gaming gear. It saw its stock surge more than 50 percent last year. As 2020 got rolling, the stock was hit with a wave of downgrades and the analyst community started worrying it had run too much. Well, when Logitech reported last night, the company delivered a beautiful 7-cent earnings speed off of a 77-cent basis, higher than expected sales, of 4% year-over-year, and impressive cost discipline. Their gaming, PC peripherals, and video collaboration businesses were all on fire. Plus, management reiterated their full-year forecast for fiscal 2020. And, of course, the stock then rallied 2.6% today, even on a bad day. I would bet that it has further to run. So let's check in with Bracken Dow. the president's CEO of Logitech, get a better sense of the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Dow, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Jim, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: All right, Bracken, I'm going to go right to the end of your conference call because it was probably the most instructive moment in many calls that I've heard, not just your call, where the analysts are asking you about different things that you've done, and you say, this call is kind of very anti for me because we're so focused on what's coming, and you are, meaning the analysts, are so focused on what happened to try to learn from it, which is great. I want you to focus on exactly what the analysts are telling you. Now. Don't be anti Give me the goods.
2: Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, the, uh, I think what the analysts saw in our earnings this quarter was, you know, we had a, a, a good solid growth number at the top line, 5% non-GAAP. Uh, we had a good solid profit number. And maybe most important of all, we, we delivered strong, strong gross margins in spite of the tariff impacts in currency. And you know, we're growing all three of our biggest businesses at a pretty healthy clip, two of them double digits, gaming and video collaboration. And one of them, mid-single, did just 6%, which is our CNP, and our, our per PC peripherals business. So I think they saw a good, strong, solid growth across the board.
1: Uh, let's talk about the momentum in video collaboration. I mean, this is something that it, we all knew uh, that there's something like Zoom's doing well. Uh, Logitech is doing, in many ways, just as well because you're in the sweet spot with some really great gross margins in this business.
2: Yeah, we have terrific gross margins in that business. We've gone from, you know, six or seven years ago, we were a $100 million business. Our, we, we delivered $92 million of sales this quarter, up another 25%. Our growth for the year is up 37%. Uh, you know, and the coolest thing about this, Jim, is for us and Zoom and, and Google and Microsoft and everybody who's in this business, only 4%, 4 or 5% of all the rooms that should be video-enabled are. And, uh, you know, a lot of the experts forecast over the next five years, you'll see that jump to about 12%. So there's a lot of growth here ahead of us
1: when i look at your products on amazon i am thinking that zoom is enterprise logitech is enterprise but also consumer what are some of these consumer uses that people are willing to pay five hundred six hundred seven dollars to logitech in order to be able to get their video conferencing
2: well, you know it's it's really interesting the uh, most of the products we sell the vast majority into the video conferencing market are used in the office but I continue to think there's a big opportunity in the home. You know, How many people who are watching this right now have a home office and they use one of our, our little webcams, which are great, but if they just put one of these in and they could tap the button and be on a video call right away, you know, how many of your calls could you do there at home? It's super comfortable. I have three rooms set up in my house with video conferencing. One, two of them have couches. One of them's a, a traditional office set up. So I think that's going to happen in the future. I'm not sure when.
1: No, I, I, that's how exactly what I was perusing. I, I got the idea to do exactly what you said. And it's almost as if I know that's yeah. not the primary use, but I said, wouldn't this be cool? I mean, these are now affordable. I mean, these are not thousands of dollars, pieces of equipment.
2: No, it's super affordable, and it's, re, it's, so, it's so cool. You know, and by the way, the numbers I quoted, 4% of all the rooms that could be enabled doesn't even cr- include the 100 million homes out there in the U.S. alone. So if we do start to penetrate that opportunity, it's going to be really big. Uh, so no matter what, the video co- collaboration business for us is a, is a huge growth opportunity.
1: I know that uh, Take 2 Activision Blizzard, uh, and EA have all been hitting highs. Uh, you've got some easy comparisons versus Fortnite. Another, you're, you have a much lower multiple than those companies, even though, again, I would emphasize that you're just as predictable as they are, maybe even more predictable, because you then, you said you would pick up in video games, and that's exactly what happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, we, the coolest thing about our business is we have a very diversified portfolio. We're in 20, 28 different categories. So that, that has given us, like, having a good, strong portfolio that we're constantly weeding and, and doubling down on things that are growing. We've been able to deliver consistent growth there over the last six or seven years, including this quarter. And in our gaming business, you know, we, as we said, the first couple of quarters, two or three quarters of the year, we had lower growth because of the incredible Fortnite effect last year. Now we're kind of through that. So we're back to double digit growth again. We're 16% this quarter.
1: You know, one last thing. I know that uh, a lot of people worried about you know thinking about ESG, what you're doing. You've got that box check, so to speak. But far more important, you talked about STEM uh, and hardware. I think there's too many people who are just concerned about. I'm not as concerned about your carbon footprint as I am concerned about your educational footprint. And that's something that you made the (laughs) point of. Without necessarily, of course, you're not going to slag people who care about environment. But that is your sweet spot, isn't it? What you're doing in education.
2: Yeah, you know, you know, I would say it's the uh, first of all. We are doing a ton in sustainability. I'm super excited about that. We just want, we were named one of 35 companies, only 35 companies in the world, to the World Finance uh, list of honorees for sustainability. The only one in consumer tech. I had to say that. No,
1: but, no, that was right. You know, the, I didn't mean to slight you at all. You you came out great on the conference call. Absolutely.
2: I'm super excited about that, but the, and there's a lot ahead of us. But the in the education field, you know, we've really never really in, penetrated the education space as much as we could have. You know, our products are certainly used by students all over the place, but we never really focused on it. We've started to focus on it recently. We had 30% growth this quarter in our education space. We've got several different products that go in there, mostly working with the iPad. And, uh, you know, and I'm optimistic that there's a real vertical opportunity for us going forward.
1: Well, I think that you're, uh, everyone who's going to downgrade you has downgraded you. They obviously should have, uh, let's say, done more homework. Because you said certain things <laughs> were going to happen. You said certain things were going to accelerate. You delivered on every line item. That's Bracken Dow, President CEO of Logitech. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much, Jeff.
1: Guys, read this conference call. I mean, y- 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 I commented last week that there have been a lot of downgrades. But the downgrades were ill-advised. There's not much more I can say. money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light round! Bye bye, bye, sub-sip, some Bye-bye. bye And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning start with Douglas and York. Douglas! Hey Jim, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Douglas? Good. Uh,
0: I'm just wondering what should I do with this Lokia stuff, man. I had it for a long time.
1: Um, I think Nokia is getting better. I think that there are improvements there. And at four bucks, I think it's a decent spec. I'm going to add Ericsson to it. I've been very circumspect about these, but I'm willing to go out on a limb now because it's in everybody's interest that they stay strong. Every country's interest. Let's go to Joe in New York. Joe. Jim, one in a million you are. Great show. Been a
3: big fan
1: for many years. Thank you very much, man. W-E-N. Well, W E N has been stuck at this level uh, of 21 for some time, and they're doing breakfast and doing veg- uh, they're doing a very good breakfast. I think that it's a stock that you should be buying right here. Let's go to N- Nalini and Marilyn. Nalini. 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 I'm sorry, my bad.
5: That's fine. Uh, so, Jim, I have a question on uh, a box which I got into about a year ago. Based on its compelling story, and it has plummeted, and now it's been hanging around sixteen to seventeen dollars.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna rave about that one. Uh, They've got to, they got to do a couple of good quarters in a row, and they have not been able to do that. I need you to go to Doug in New York, Doug. Jimmy, yo, got a big Brooklyn booyah to ya. Love that. Love Barsty Miguel. Everything. What's up? Uh, I want to tell you, thank you very much, you and your great staff for the homework that you did for me on the on this ticket SE a couple of nights ago. And don't awesome. forget to wish Regina a happy birthday, our executive producer. Happy birthday, well, would, Regina. You are, are the best. Okay, my ticket tonight is MX, Magnet Chip. I don't know Magnet Chip. It's a Chinese semiconductor. I, I like them here. I don't like them there. I want to stay. I mean, remember, Alibaba is the only Chinese stock I am recommending. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
3: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: I know this is going to sound odd. But you know what? I'm actually glad the market pulled back today. Stocks have had an enormous run. And you've got to wonder if they can grow into their elevated price-to-earnings multiples. You know what? That's the big question as earnings season goes into full swing. What do I mean by growing into the price-to-earnings multiples? Right now, we're paying a great deal for future earnings streams. For example, the average stock in the S&P 500 currently trades at about 22 times earnings. Now, historically, that's pretty expensive. Normally, I try to get nervous when the S&P is trading at anything north of 19 times earnings on a trailing basis, because that is where you tend to get in trouble. By the way, the crash in 87, they were 29 times earnings. Let's take that off the table. Now, uh, and also in 2000, the Nasdaq they didn't even have any earnings. Arguably, we should never have gotten this high in this particular market in the first place. It reminds me of the heights we reached right before the Super Bowl in 2018 when inflation came in too hot after the February employment number and the whole complex of money managers who'd been betting against volatility got their heads handed to them. Suddenly they need to raise cash, and they did it by selling the S&P 500 futures, which then crushed the stock market. So what can justify these elevated valuations? How do we get through earnings season unscathed Uh, why should we at all be confident? What needs to happen? First, the numbers actually do need to be better than expected. And that's what we saw from the banks. When big institutional money managers stopped worrying about their net interest margins, started focusing on stability. J.P. Morgan put up a consistently great number that made its stock look too cheap at 13 times earnings. However, J.P. Morgan actually didn't rally on the news. It simply didn't go down, giving the stock a lower multiple and a higher earnings model. Now it sells for 12 times earnings. Goldman Sachs delivered a consistent number when we'd expected inconsistency. That's good. That along with the end-of-the-month analyst meeting that everyone's so excited about gave investors the conviction that they needed to buy it at 10 times earnings. Obviously, the biggest winner was Morgan Stanley. Still sells at the same multiple 10 times earnings, even after reporting a truly colossal quarter that sent its stock up five points. That's multiple compression. In short, when the banks reported better than expected numbers, it simply kept their stocks running in place. Usually, these kinds of results would trigger terrific rallies, but this is what happens in expensive market. Of course, when expectations are meager, as was the case with IBM this very evening, uh, it beat a, rel- a repeatedly lowered bar, and that is enough to send the stock I- it up in after hours. But that was not the case with banks, where the bar kept being raised. Second potential justification after BTE mergers and acquisitions. If we see companies buying other companies, that's a sure sign that these valuations are actually legitimate, that we aren't paying too much. Now, we had a big M&A party at the end of last year, but so far the beginning of 2020, it's been quiet. Third, big dividend boosts and buybacks. We chronically misjudged these methods of returning capital to shareholders. That's a mistake. In recent years, Citigroup's retired. A third of its shares outstanding. As long as the stock keeps trading around its book value, CEO Michael Corbett will call another 8% of the shares. The buybacks put an immense floor under the stock. Meanwhile, a dividend boosts are tremendous sources of strength, albeit one that's often ignored by this show and by all shows. It shouldn't be ignored. Fourth, the phase one trade deal with China has caused many underperforming stocks to start outperforming. It could take months for the White House to actually roll back the tariffs. But once they do... We have to believe it will allow the earnings of many companies to blossom. Finally, we need bond yields to have another leg down because it will help prop up stocks with high dividends by comparison. Of course, in many ways, this is the thing I am most worried about, though. If we get a wholesale decline in bond prices causing a surge in bond yields, suddenly the stock market will have some serious competition. It can happen. I'm glad the dollar's been so weak of late. It's good for our exporters, but it's weak because investors from overseas have stopped the relentless purchases of U.S. Treasuries. If bond yields don't roll over, this market will suddenly start seeming a lot more expensive. And that is the trouble with expensive markets. We need a few items on this checklist if the averages are going to tread water here. We need all five for the averages to rally and rally big. And if we get none, well, look out below. Stick with Quick. I have an important programming announcement. I've always wanted to say that. Tomorrow morning, Squawk Box, 5 a.m. Eastern. My pal Joe Kernan is sitting down with President Trump in Davos. The president was pretty scripted. I bet you he goes off script when Joe Kernan asks him a lot of questions. 5 a.m., Squawk. It must not be missed. Now, IBM, good quarter. But what's more important is, is that the expectations were tampered by a series of downgrades. Netflix, a lot of people expect them to blow up, not be able to sign up as many people as they did. That stock can go higher now that that veil has been lifted. But look, what matters is the illness and how quickly it can be contained. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.